I'm used to saying good morning when I get behind the pulpit, but I'll say good afternoon. <laughs> it's nice to be here. My name is Roddy Kaufman, and I come here with Peter Dorfler from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing greetings from Redemption Hill Church there, both from the hearing and from the deaf. deaf. And I also bring greetings from my wife of 32 years, Becky Kaufman, who's there in, uh, in Pittsburgh uh, at this time. We want to give you, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to come here and share with you uh, not just the Word of God today, but also just the calling that God has given us to bring the gospel not just to the people who can hear, but also bring the gospel to those who cannot. So uh, if you have missed some of that information, you can certainly, I don't know what's been recorded, what's not, but you can check with. Uh, Enrique and Joe to get some more information if you feel that God is calling you to death. So this afternoon I'd like to share from the Word of God from Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. The title that I was given to, gave to the church for this sermon is Go Home and Tell Your Friends. If I was to give it a second title, I would call it From Graveyard Dweller to Gospel Teller. So hear the Word of God, Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. And Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the the Jehoshans, I pronounced that wrong. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse 8 goes on to say why he, was said that, why he said that to Jesus. And it says, For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and told it in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began began to beg Jesus 
to depart from their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but told him, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And, they, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Father, we ask that you would guide your, the preaching of your word this afternoon, that you'll speak to the hearts of all of us here to know what it is you want us to do, how you want to change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In the spring of 2011, my wife and I spent about 10 days in the country called Zambia. And Zambia is located in the central part of Africa. And there we met a deaf man, and his name was Mubita. Now, Mubita lives in a city called Kabwe. Kabwe is in the central part of the country, and it's made up of about 200,000 people. Located in the midst of Kabwe is a slum called Makalulu. This slum is the second largest slum in the southern part of Africa. Now, most of the homes there have no electricity. They have no running water. Many of the children in this slum have no parents, lost their parents to HIV or AIDS. And these orphans are shunned and rejected by the fam- their own family members and end up living off the street. And for children like uh, Mubita, who was born deaf and lost his parents too, the situation was much worse. As a boy, as a deaf orphan, Mubita was poor, living on the streets, and he was often abused. In fact, Mubita shared stories with us about how uh, people would actually stone him as he was walking by, throw rocks and stones at him. Well, one day, like the grave, de- the, the grave, grave dweller in our story today, this slum dweller, Mubita, heard about the mercy of Jesus Christ through, and received Jesus as his Savior. Now, he didn't know much about the gospel at that time or about the Bible, but Mubita simply knew that he had to tell other people, other deaf people, about Jesus So he had his heart set on this. So, you see, Jesus didn't simply want to save one deaf man. Jesus wanted to send one deaf man to other deaf people in the city. So God wanted to bring more people to Christ. So, like the former grave dweller, this deaf man, a former slum dweller, became obedient to Christ's mission, and he began to gather deaf people to meet with him from the slums, and they started to meet under a tree in the middle of a field with his limited knowledge of the gospel, began to share with them about Jesus Christ. Now, both the, the story in Mark chapter 5 and this true story about Mubita highlights the fact that God's mercy, Christ's mercy in the life of one individual can have an impact beyond that one person. So this afternoon, I would like to demonstrate the following truth, one that we should not lose sight of, whether this church pursues Hispanic ministry, deaf ministry, or both both in the future. 
And here's the truth, that God grants his mercy to individuals who in turn can impact the community and even the world for Christ. Now, the the mercy of Jesus restores lost, hopeless individuals. Let's talk about that for a moment. When Jesus arrived in this boat here at this graveyard, he came to restore this one man in two ways, not just one, in two ways. First of all, Jesus came to restore this man's relationship with God. Now, when you first read this passage, well, at least when I first read this passage years ago, it was very easy for me to view this man as like an innocent victim of demonic oppression. So, yes, he did terrible things. He was screaming. He was yelling. He was cutting himself with stones. He apparently was a threat to people who were traveling on the road near this graveyard. In fact, Matthew, in his version of the story, says that this man was so fierce that no one could pass that way. That's in uh, Matthew 8, I believe, verse 5. Yet this man was simply not an innocent man, folks. He was not just a man controlled by demons. His need for restoration went far beyond his need to be restored from these demons. This restoration that God uh, allowed him to experience is easy to overlook in the passage, but I want to show it to you. You don't see it very clearly until the end of the passage where Jesus refused to let the man uh, join him on his, his journeys. Instead, Jesus commands him and says, In verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and, don't miss this, it's important, and how he has had mercy on you. Did you hear that? Now, it's very common in the scriptures and in our culture today to think that the word mercy means to to show uh, compassion and kindness to other people. And that's very biblical. That's true in the scriptures. But while that's part of the biblical understanding of mercy, but the Bible also portrays God's mercy as his willingness to forgive us or forgive a person who has offended his holiness by not giving this person, this man or woman, the punishment they deserve. That's mercy. So the writer Mark doesn't give any explanation of this man's sinful past, and he really doesn't have to. The Bible is clear, isn't it, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the requirement to live the holy lives, God's glory. We've fallen short of that. So Jesus demonstrated his forgiveness, demonstrated his mercy to this man by removing, yes, the consequences of his sins. Somehow his past choices had led to being possessed by demons, but now the demons were gone. And his sins were gone by the mercy of Jesus, and he was now able to sit calmly in the presence of his Savior, clothed and in his right mind. But Jesus did not just restore him to his relationship with God, but he also restored him to the community that had banished him to the graveyard. You see, before Jesus arrived that day, this man was alienated by this community where he once lived. So when his de- the problems with the demons began, the people in the city tried to help him the best way they knew how, 
and probably were trying to protect themselves from this man as well. So they would try to bind him with chains, but at some point they could no longer bind him any longer. And so they left him to be left out there in the graveyard. Yet, after Jesus cast out the demons and was ready to leave and go back across the, the, the sea, the Lord surprisingly sent the man to go back to his home to tell of Christ's wonderful mercies. You see, this man who previously spoke, spoke at the command of the demons was now called, now commissioned to speak at the command of Jesus, the one who had just restored him with God. One man, one Savior, one mission given to one man to reach a community, the proclamation of mercy experienced firsthand. So he went from being, like I said, a graveyard dweller to a gospel teller. And this man knew what he was talking about when he went back to the, to the, to the city. So did Mubita in Africa. Now, honestly, Mubita was hesitant to go back to Makalulu. And you can imagine why. Uh, to bring the gospel to the deaf, there was a risk. There was a probability that people would start stoning him and abusing him again. But not only abuse from hearing people, but the possibility of being abused by other deaf people who may reject his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the man in this passage today had a, probably had a similar fear. Yet in both cases, these men were willing to be obedient to the call to go home and tell their friends. How has Jesus restored you? Showing you his mercy by turning you from your sins? Sparing you from both the wrath of God and perhaps the consequences that your sins have brought on your life. In some way, some way, shape, or form, God has called you to go and tell others about that mercy as well. And by the way, if you're tempted to think that, that your past life has disqualified you from being able to speak of his mercy to those in your family, at work, your friends... Well, take a look at this passage and think again. (laughs) This man is not a pristine example of a seminary-trained pastor, but a common man with an unbelievable, an unbelievable but yet believable story of Christ's remarkable mercy that is equally available to all. So if God has granted his mercy to you as an individual, what sort of impact might you have on the community around you? Because you see, the mercy of Jesus not only restores individuals, but also transforms entire communities. Now, the people that lived in the town nearby where this event happened in the graveyard, they quickly heard about the story. In fact, they heard testimony about this event twice. The first testimony they received was actually what we would call today fake news. You ever hear that term? I like that term. Fake news. And they got that fake news from those who were offended by Jesus Christ. And that was the herdsmen. These men had lost their source of income, perhaps their only source of income. And it might have been the source of income of people that they worked for. So they ran, and it says here, I think it's verse 14, and told it in the city, in the country, how Jesus had caused their swine to perish in the sea. So they were basically 
choosing to blame Jesus rather than to be in awe of him. And the townspeople were motivated by that first testimony by fear and greed rather than joy over hearing that one of their own had been restored. So here's the result. Because of their own desire to protect whatever swine they might have left, they choose rejection, rejection of the very one who came to save them. It says here in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Therefore, Jesus leaves them, folks, but he doesn't leave them alone. (laughs) Instead, Jesus sends them a second witness, a second testimony in the form of honest first-hand news from the man himself who had been restored. But this second testimony was very different, wasn't it? It was different from the first. Instead of being about what Jesus did to them, it resulting in blame and fear. It was this man's testimony about how much mercy Jesus had shown him and how that mercy could be shown to them, resulting in awe and gratitude. And this time, the people responded extremely differently. It says this, Paul, Mark says, everyone marveled. It didn't say some of them marveled, marveled. It says everyone marveled. The word marvel, have you ever thought about what that means? To marvel means this. It means to, well, it, how do I say this? It carries the idea of asking questions. When you marvel about something, you see uh, a shooting star, and you think, I wonder what caused that. How did that happen? Well, that's really interesting. Where did that come from? When you marvel, you ask questions. In Matthew chapter 8, after Jesus calmed the sea, Matthew says that the men were marveled, and then look what they did when they marveled. The men marveled, asking, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Whereas before the people feared Jesus and sent him away, now, after hearing the full story, they began asking questions. Who is this Jesus? The same thing happened through the life of a Mobita in Africa. As the deaf listened to Mobita's story about salvation in Jesus, they began to wonder, who is this Jesus? Now, honestly, most of the deaf, and I would imagine, well, I have to say most, I can't say not all, but I would say most of the deaf in this slum in Makalulu had never heard of Jesus. Even though there were Christian witnesses and churches planted in that community, they likely had not heard because the gospel message was not in their language. And most people did not even consider that they needed to find a way to bring that gospel to them. So, but slowly, as more began to believe in Jesus, they too became gospel tellers for Christ. Well, Peter and I have seen similar things happening in Pittsburgh. In January of last year, our deaf leadership team began to pray and asking God, God, would you put deaf people in our paths and put deaf people in our paths who can network with other deaf people in the community? Because the deaf community is a small thing. So if you meet one deaf person, you have the entrance way to meet many more deaf people. Well, God was really quick to answer that prayer request. Within a few, and there's a long story behind this, and I won't tell you the whole story because we don't have time. 
But a few weeks later, a deaf lady and another deaf man began to attend church. And through her coming, others soon followed, family members, friends. And in the course of the remainder of last year, of 2021, our Sunday morning deaf numbers grew to be about 17 people, some of them deaf, some of them hearing members of the deaf, these deaf people. Not only that, God has started to open up opportunities that we never dreamed would happen. And again, if we had time, I'd tell you the wonderful stories about how this really unfolded. But suffice to say that um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you know what they are, and uh, Youth for Christ, you may have heard what they are, two different uh, teenage ministries in high schools are teaming up to bring a sports camp for the deaf, a Christian sports camp for the deaf, this summer in Pittsburgh. And our church has been asked to be a part of that. They, they're hoping that as deaf children and their parents come to faith, they can point them to a church. And so we're one of those churches that they have contacted. So it, it started with a few, and God has reached the community more and more through the witness of just a few. If God moves this church to move forward in deaf, into deaf ministry, even if it's just with a few, even if it's just for, we're through one, The same thing will happen. If it's God's work, it will happen. One deaf person coming to faith in Jesus and growing in their relationship with Christ can serve as a springboard to reaching the larger community for Jesus Christ. Now, back to our passage here. The the people here who marveled at the mercy of Christ through this former graveyard dweller, they became gospel tellers too, many of them did so. And the result had an impact far beyond that one city. And I didn't see it really clearly until I started researching this. Here's why. The mercy of Jesus, it restores individuals, transforms communities, and it also impacts the world for Christ. You just never know how your one witness to one person, how it can affect the world. I want to tell you a little bit of background about this area where this story happened. And stick with me on this because it's really fascinating. I think it's fascinating. This area where the man was healed in the graveyard was in a region called the Decapolis. Deca, Deca means 10. Polis, P-O-L-I-S, means city. So it was an area of 10 cities. And these cities were under Roman rule. They were very pagan. They could not stand Jewish people. So very few Jewish people even crossed through that area. And by the end, though, of this chapter, after hearing the second testimony of Jesus through this man, it says that every one of them in that city nearby the graveyard marveled about Jesus. Now stick with me here. It went from just everyone marveling. It spread. As you continue to read in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus returns to that region at the end of chapter 7, I think verse 31. By that time, there had been a change in the hearts of the people there. As soon as Jesus arrived, the people were like, Jesus is back. He's back. And they brought a deaf man to him to heal him. Will you heal this man? And Jesus healed the man. But the funny thing is, Jesus said, and I never have understood fully why Jesus did this sometimes. He commanded the people don't tell anyone that I healed this man. Sometimes I wonder if he said that. It's like you tell children, don't tell because you know they will. Well, 
it says in verses 36 and 37, it says this, and it shows their view of Jesus, the one they used to be afraid of. Here's how it changed. It says, the more and more Jesus charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were, get this, astonished beyond measure, saying, Jesus has done all things well. Did you catch that? These people went from being marveled to be, I mean, excuse me, they went from being fearful to marveling to being astonished beyond measure through the one witness of one man. But it doesn't stop there. Listen to this. If you were to flip over, check it out later, but if you flip to chapter 8, in the first 10 verses, Jesus is still in the Decapolis region, and there he performs the miracle of feeding a crowd there from that region made up of 4,000 people. One man sent to one city affected all 10 cities and it changed from one person to 4,000 people impacted for Christ. Amazing. Well, the impact doesn't stop there, folks. (laughs) From historical studies, and this is something that's not directly in the scriptures, but historians and researchers have found that that in the years to follow Christ's time there, pagan religion decreased, Historians record that one of the first, if not the first, fully Christian community was located in a town called Pela, P-E-L-L-A, one of the ten cities. In fact, Pela served as a city of refuge for Christians in the late 60s during a Jewish revolt against Rome. So the same people that had rejected Jesus and his disciples were now sheltering and ministering to those same people disciples and their believing descendants. And by the 5th century, studies show that the region became a prim, prim, uh, almost entirely Christian region with many bishops being raised up from among those people. Isn't that amazing? One person to 4,000 to a whole region coming to be a Christian region. Well, back to Africa. Sometime after Mubita began to share the gospel with other deaf people in the slum, he met a missionary family in a church nearby who happened to know sign language. And so this family and this church learned of Mubita's ministry, learned of the plight and struggle of the deaf people in the slums, and as a result of his witness and the church's involvement, the church set up a Christian safe place, they call it Safe Haven, for abused young deaf adults. So here in this safe safe house, these deaf men and women were able to live on the safe side of the city. They have a place to eat, a place to sleep, a place to be trained for jobs, go to school, and most of all, to learn about and come to faith in Jesus Christ, to know his mercy and to grow in him. And the deaf who came, came largely through one deaf man's obedience to Christ. 30 months ago, my wife Becky and I knew almost nothing about Pittsburgh and absolutely nothing about Redemption Hill Church. If I had more time, I'd tell you this, but in August of 2019, after spending several years of trying to find a ministry location, I was very discouraged. 
I nearly gave up, not on Christ, but nearly gave up on trying to find an opportunity for deaf mission. So, one in, so when, for one last attempt, I contacted Jim Hatch, who is, or at least was, the director for Mission to North America. Is he still the director? No longer. But he was at the time. So I called him up. I happened to catch him on the phone, which I understand is rare. And he answered the phone, and he knew who I was because I knew his sister. And um, I told him, I asked him, I said, do you know of any churches that are being set up that have the desire to reach the deaf with the gospel? And he said, no, Ronnie, I really have nothing that I know of, but he said, go ahead and send me an email. I'm out of, I'm going out of town right now as I speak. So send me an email. So I immediately sat down and sent him an email. Well, that very night, I found out later, Jim traveled, was traveling cross country and stopped over in, I think it was Jackson, Mississippi. And there he stopped to visit a couple that he knew. And the wife uh, is Ashley Belknap. That Belknap is B-E-L-K-N-A-P, because I know you probably don't know how to pronounce it. B-E-L-K-N-A-P. She's the director, folks, of the PCA's Engaging Disabilities with the Gospel Ministry. So over dinner, they were chatting and stuff. And at the end, if I get the details right, Ashley said, oh, Jim, by the way, I have a question. I'm working with this pastor in Pittsburgh who found himself ministering to deaf people who showed up at his church. And I'm trying to find resources and things to help him out. Do you have anything that you can recommend? And, and Jim's like, yeah. He pulled out his phone. I got this email from this Roddy guy in South Carolina. That hooked us, my wife and I, up with Ashley. And then within a week or so, we were on a Zoom call with Peter and his wife, Jamie. And short time later, in October of that same year, we were sitting in their home discussing the possibility of us moving to Pittsburgh. I don't know. Have you, have you found yourself like me, frustrated over not knowing what God wants you to do? Or maybe you're like some of the people in this town initially responding to Christ with, uh, I don't want to do what he's telling me to do. He, it's going to cost me a lot, you know. Or maybe now, after spending time at this conference, perhaps you are now responding like the townspeople later did, marveling at the work that Christ is doing and beginning to ask questions like, Lord, how might I be involved in reaching the Hispanic community or the deaf community for Christ? Well, if God really has granted you his mercy, what is he calling you to do in turn to impact individuals? to impact a community, to impact the world for Jesus Christ. One man restored in Christ became a thousand in the fold in a region of the world called the Decapolis. What might God want to do through you in Philadelphia? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. You give that mercy to us, and it's something that we do not deserve at all. It's all because of your grace, the love you have for us, that, uh, to love us who are so unlovable. But Lord, in your mercy, you've also given us a wonderful task, an honor to be involved in your work. Lord, lead each person here who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ into your ministry and reaching out to people around them. Hispanic ministry, deaf ministry, 
or some other ministry where they can use the gifts you've given them to make an impact in individuals, communities, and ultimately reach the world. Use us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.